Amen. Father, thank you, Jesus. Always get this reverb here. Uh, can we? Ooh, we gotta do something there. Don't know what. <laughs> Amen. Father, thank you for your uh, your presence here, Lord Jesus. For the presence of the Lord. Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, divine pleasures, pleasures that come from God and only from you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for the joy that you've given. The joy is not based upon circumstances. Lord, a joy that can endure the, the trials that we may face. But Lord, that a joy is always attached back to you. And I want to remember that the most precious thing that we have in life is not even our own life, not even the breath that we breathe, not even the heartbeat that we have, but the most precious thing that we have in our life is your presence, is that you're with us. Lord, and if that's not true, then God, we need to have that true in our life because Jesus, there is no living life outside of Jesus Christ. Lord, you said you came to give us life and that more abundantly, but you said this is eternal life, that we might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. There is no other way to define life but in the Son. And he that has the Son has life. God, I just pray that this become the reality. That, Lord, nothing else, Lord, is better than having you here in our midst. Lord, dealing with everything that's important to you. And so, Jesus, let there be only one reserve. Uh, at the end of this service, Lord, and even coming into it, one reserve, and that is that our lives belong to you. We've been bought with a price. And the life that we now live, we live to the glory of God. Lord, we're no longer our own. Lord, uh, we've already sealed off the rights of our life. We've sealed off and written it off to you and given it all to you because we know that you're the one who's worthy of every last breath that we breathe. And Jesus, I pray that today... Lord, you would confirm one more time what's the truth and the importance of the gospel. And Lord, why we're serving you, Lord, and what it's all about. And that God make that one thing clear to us, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. I give you praise. Uh, ignore the headline up there on the screen. This is not, I'd forgotten to change that. No big deal, right? Go to your Bibles in John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. I want to go to, actually I'm just going to read in verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 9. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. In verse 5, Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whither, where you go, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known this, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you shall know him, and you have seen him. And then Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. I just want to focus on this question of show me the way. Um, I think that it's, it's so crucial in any walk of life, in anybody's life right now, is that this is something that I think in a, in a way that even if we felt like the Lord has shown me a way, and shown me the way, we still have to have more of that as a revelation in our lives. And we were listening to something the other day, speaking about the gospel. The gospel is for the lost and those who don't know Christ, and it's for the saved. Like the gospel never loses its power. It never loses its influence. And I pray that we haven't lost the joy of the gospel in our life. But that's basically what's taking place here is Thomas is getting an introduction to the gospel. And Thomas has already had that. Thomas has been walking with the gospel the whole time. But for some reason, something was missing. And I wonder that sometimes that's not what we're facing today. And there's a lot of theology and there's a lot of things being preached that is missing the gospel. And I just want to bring us back to that place of the gospel. And so I remember one time uh, last year, my wife and I, we were taking a trip to Pennsylvania, and we were going back to an alumni to the Bible school that I had visited and back to the church that I had done my internship in. And um, I was, it was a great opportunity for me, especially in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, where I had done my internship, for her to walk down memory lane with me and things that she had never seen and, and had not got to be a part of. And um, there was a lot of things I remembered. I remembered exactly where they were. I remembered the location of them. But there was one thing that I was struggling to come to that, that place of remembrance. And it was that it was the apartment that uh, I had stayed in. I, I, I knew the rough the, the block or so that I thought it was in, on, and it wasn't there, at least the, not the one that I looked at. And I walked in an alley, and I thought, for sure this is it. And I walked in the back, and I was like, no, this isn't it. What is? What am I missing? And I think that it, it really speaks of something that, you know, sometimes we're looking for Jesus to be a five-step program. We're looking for a new program or for direction. And uh, what Jesus was saying to, to Thomas is that, this isn't, I'm not giving you a roadmap here. I'm not giving you a program. You need a leader in your life. And sometimes we're trying to figure out what's the next step and what's the next plan and how's to be the wisest decision. And it doesn't matter if it's our home. It doesn't matter if it's a lost family member or it's a friend at work. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to minister to the gospel to them and open up their hearts. And we begin to lose the fact that sometimes we get so programmed in. And this is Western culture uh, way of life. And that is, is just to find a program for them. Here's a book for you to read. Here's a preacher for you to listen to. And somehow it's like we're trying to give them a, a program. And even we're missing it a lot of times, even in our own life. And so I think that we can easily relate with Thomas and what he he says to Jesus here. And Jesus just says one very important and paramount statement right here. And he says, I am 
the way. I am the truth. If there's any declaration that we need to hear again one more time to our hearts, it's the declaration that Jesus is the way. Not just what somebody's told you about Jesus, but who He really is. And what a beautiful thing to sing some songs this morning, all of them pointing to that fact. And again, I'm just going to say, I never shared this message with the worship team. They chose those songs. And I think God just chose those songs for us because it was a part of an agreement to His will and to confirm this is what He's been saying. But ultimately, Jesus is the way. And so I often wonder, it's been kind of my heartbreak, sometimes in my own life, but in others, how are you finding Jesus today? How are you experiencing Him? How are you knowing Him? And the, in a paramount way, we're losing the connection with Jesus because we have enough TV preachers out there who will feed us the Word of God. We have enough books out there will instruct us in what we should believe and how we should believe it. And we have so many uh, ministries. Whichever one you want and whichever one fits you the best, just enjoy that ministry and soak it in. And hours of timeless uh, time spent in looking at the new minister or, or the one I love and the one I like and all of those things. And even here today as we're in this church, we're kind of following that same program if we're not careful. And the reality is, is that we have to remove men and other influences in our life and get back down to the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And all I can say is that I dearly pray with all of my heart that everybody who's listening to some other ministry, uh, some other book, whatever you're listening to, that I pray that you haven't lost your ultimate focus and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That He's the one you're relating to. He's the one that you're drawing near. And God forbid that we shouldn't have any of those things. And there's no reason why I would be saying that. But there is this shift oftentimes in somebody's life where the Bible becomes a dull book. Where I don't want to read my Bible, but I do want to read this other book. They're exciting in the, the way that they uh, define and, and break down the Word of God. And I love listening to that preacher or, or catching that message. And and, and the Bible's lost its influence over time. And I think the reason for that is, is because when we lose the influence of God's Spirit in our life, oftentimes this book just becomes a marred book. Uh, it's just another book that holds almost no more value on the shelf than any other library book or any other novel that we have. But when we have the Holy Spirit ministering the Word of God to us, this book becomes your lifeline. You begin to see God in your daily actions and whatever you're doing, begin to minister to you scriptures that have to do with what you're doing and the people you're around. So again, I just want to re-emphasize we, we're often looking for directions rather than a leader. And Jesus says, you're going to have to follow me. And so when I share you that story of me being in Pennsylvania, what I needed was a leader. I needed probably the pastor who had purchased the place for us to, or rented the place for us to stay in and, and lead me back down some of those familiar streets and probably the ones that I had walked down looking for it. And I needed him probably to lead me to that location because I couldn't remember it. But in this, we're not talking about remembering so much, and some of it is. A lot of things God just has to bring back to remembrance. 
But the reality is, is that we need to reseal the deal with Jesus. Just one more time. Just one more time alone with God. One more time where no man's interfering with it. There's no more interpretation from somebody else. Lord, I just want you to speak to my heart in this moment of life. And you know, I loved what a man told me when I was just a teenager. And he said, this is how I pray. He said, I take my Bible and I lay it right down in front of me. And I kneel down and I just ask the Lord to show me what he wants for me to see in his word. And in that time, God would give maps and instructions for life. Listen to me, nobody can give you the exact details for what you need to do, who you need to talk to, the people you need to be involved with. Nobody can give you the exact details of your life. Only Jesus can. And I pray that He's leading us and that we're following Him. You know, Jesus said something to His disciples that's just as good for us today as it was for His disciples. And He said, come and follow Me. Follow Me. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to Thomas is, Thomas, if you go any other way, you're going to miss it. The most anointed preachers in the world will never help you for your personal life in every detail. You need to know me. And so, as you're going forward, Thomas, you need to rely upon me. You need to trust me. There's going to be things that happen in your life. And remember the words that Jesus had told Peter when he said, Peter, that when you were young, you girded yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But there's a day that's coming that somebody else is going to take you where you would not want to go. And the Bible just says that this is the way Peter was going to die. And Peter was going to suffer a martyr's death. And that when you read of Peter's life, Peter had said he'd, they were going to crucify him just like they did Jesus. And he said, I cannot go the way that my Savior did. And he wanted to be crucified upside down because he saw his life beneath the glory of Jesus Himself. He always put Himself below Him. And so He was crucified upside down. And that's how Peter ended his life. And you know, I pray that we could see the same thing as Jesus is going to lead us in places. He said, this isn't where you would go. This isn't where you would chart the course of your life. This isn't the plan that you would make of it. But this is the plan that I have in your particular life. So listen to me and follow me. And then what I pray is, is that as we're listening to other, we're reading other books and listening to other ministers, that that should be a confirmation to what God is doing. It shouldn't be the, the truth of it. So knowing what to do is based on knowing God. That's the reality of it. Knowing where to go and how to do this is based on knowing God. I, I say my, for my kids, I want my kids to know me well enough to do what I want them to do without asking. There's a lot of scenarios in life that uh, I'm, I'm not going to be there in the moment to tell them, this is what I want you to do right now. This is how I want you to do it. Um, and how fatiguing that would be that I have to spend every detail in, in this is how I want and this is what I want done in these particulars. But for them to know me well enough to be attached to me, that they would know kind of the spirit of their dad whenever they go to do something, 
and there's this realization of dad wouldn't want me to do this or dad would prefer me to do this only in this way. And there's this sense of if they know me well enough, they're going to know which direction not to go. And they're going to also know even in my absence, even without my presence, they'll have a sense of which is the direction to go. And I see that in our life with God is that there's times when we feel like His presence is not there and we're just trying to wonder where we're at. And He's given us the instruction manual written through the Scripture and we just don't know what to do. But we know enough of God. We know enough from our relationship with Him to say, I know that He would not lead me down this path. I know this is not the direction God would have me to go. And He is the one that's always there. That's what I love about the Lord is that He's always present. But knowing Him in the moment, knowing Him not just from I just spent my devotional time with Him, but can I follow Him through my day? I also said this, the fact that they know me tells whether they intend to do what I want or not. There's so many times, there's been many times, I will say this much, that I've said, I, I didn't even need to ask the question, why did you do it that way? Why didn't you do it the way that I wanted? And Because I knew that they already knew. I knew that they knew enough of me to realize that that was the wrong direction to go. And so even if there was a lie that followed, even if the truth wasn't told in, in that moment, I knew it because I, it was like, I know that you're not being honest because I know that you know me. I know that you know me well enough to know that I would never have told you that. Knowing God is about voluntary surrender. Um, I, I want to share this story. I experienced this at work two times, two different bosses. And one of them was we had this pump. It was an irrigation pump that uh, some people had underneath their home. And we were having to go and service it and meant that we actually had to go under the house, crawl through the crawl space. And, and of course, as it always is, the crawl space is all on the far end of the house and the pump is on the far other end of the house. So you have to crawl all the way under and... Uh, Who's ever gotten the enjoyment of crawling underneath the house? Just kind of wondering. All the men in the place. All the men. How come the ladies don't get that privilege? <laughs> so anyway, we were, oh, did somebody else raise their hand? One of the ladies? Oh, we got Susie back there. She is the woman of all women there. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I know some of the other ladies are just too humble to raise their hands, but you've been under a house, sure. So anyway... We, we had to crawl under the house to get the pump, and the boss was there, and he was looking at me and one of the other guys at work, and he says, he says, so which one of you is going to do it? And we both look at each other like, not me, not me. And so, uh, so he says, well, let's do a coin toss. And so he takes the quarter or whatever it is, and he tosses that up, and he lands, and, and he asks us, what, and I don't even remember if I chose heads or tails, but I chose one, he chose the other, landed, he flipped, and I won the coin toss. And this is what he did. He did not say to the other guy, you have to go do the other job. You lost the coin toss. He looked at me and he said, so you choose. Wow. That was, that was a predicament to be in. I'm like, I win. And if I choose myself, I win. If I choose him, I lose. <laughs> so... I thought about it, and I, you know, and I'm glad that it actually turned out that way. But 
I had to come to that, that kind of the moment of when you get to choose, what do you voluntarily choose? And I looked at him, and this was my thought. My thought is he doesn't want to do this any more than I do. And my other thought is, is that what does this say about Jesus in this moment? What's it going to say? And honestly, I don't know how he took all of that, but I think he was expecting. You could see the fear in his eyes. He's going to choose me, isn't he? And we'd worked long enough together, and he had done enough things that he deserved it. I would say that much. But, but in the moment, I voluntarily chose. Not because I felt forced, but in all things considered, I voluntarily chose to go under them myself. And when I think about knowing God, it's just about that specifically. If Jesus were saying, you're forced to do this, or is this a voluntary choice, that you would say, Lord, you're of too much value to me, that I would do anything other than exactly what you're asking me to do. And so knowing Jesus is a voluntary surrender. There's things in our lives where we're like, Lord, I don't know I want to let go of that. And Jesus has given you the coin toss. And it's time for you to decide whether you're going to go his route or you're going to go your route. And um, so I told you that this happened to me twice. Same guy, different job. And I forget what the I forget what the second one was revolved around, but it was the same thing. I'm like, how does this happen twice to the same guy? And we're looking at him. We're and uh, I was working for Woody Wolf at the time, and Woody had tossed the coin, and I won. <laughs> I won the coin again, and so he said, "Listen to me. I'm telling you, two different guys did the same exact thing." And he said the same thing. He said, well, you choose. And the same guy I was looking at before about this, this situation, I'm like, I'm looking at you again, <laughs> thinking, okay, this time, this time you should be doing it. I did that last time. <laughs> but you know, the Lord still does those same things. And I just felt like, you know what? He doesn't want to do it any more than I do. <laughs> So, you know, when we step up to something like that, I want to be able to look back and say, Lord, it wasn't because James is a unique and fashionable and amazing person or that James has uh, a moral commitment to do things that nobody else does. I want what people see is, is that I am the same weak, struggling human individual that the rest of everybody else is. But when I come face to face with an opportunity to glorify God, I want to do that with all my heart. And I want those moments, Lord, when it means pressure on me to do something that's going to open up a reality to them, then please, Jesus, I want to invite those situations within my life. I want to invite those situations. Same guy I was working for uh, driving a tractor, and, and I, I didn't hit the clutch right, and I was trying to park it in a tight area, and sure enough, that fork, went right into his telehandler tire, big, huge tire, popped it, blew it, and I'm like full of humility, and these guys are like in the background laughing at me, and I'm like, I hate the humility that I'm going through, and, um, but the thought was, I don't have the money, I don't think, to replace the tire if it can't be fixed, and 
I don't think they're probably fixing this one. I mean, it's got a huge gouge in it. And uh, but I I talked to the boss and I told him I said I want to I want to do whatever it takes to make this right. It was my mistake. And um, he's like, no, we're not we're not going to go that route. We're, you know, I'll deal with it. Things happen. You know, when you're you're on a job, things happen. But what I I thought about in that moment was. Lord, do you allow these things in our life not to test our integrity as an ultimate, but to bring us to the place that we'd say, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes to glorify you and allow for whatever circumstances will best suit people looking at you in a different light because of the way that I act. I want them to see you, Jesus. So I can't always allow the circumstance, you can't always allow the circumstance to decide for you. You will need to discern God's will based on His Word. There's a lot of things like in that situation where it's like it would be great if they just tossed the coin and it just worked in my benefit. But it didn't. And so we realized that, you know, a lot of times we're like, Lord, if you open the door, and sometimes He's like, I'm not opening or closing the door. I just want you to discern. I want you to pray. I want you to come close enough to me and say, Lord, I'm not stopping this until you show me what I need to know. You can't buy, go by your feelings. What's best may not always agree with how you feel in the moment. And understanding God's ways are higher than just the way that we feel in it. So voluntary doesn't mean you feel like it. It means you agree with it in heart. You may be doing the thing you're like, I'm crawling under the house, feeling like, I don't like this. And then, you know, of course, trying to pull things apart, and it's even worse, and it's a harder job than I expected, and thinking, ah, I really regret that I chose this. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, it doesn't feel good. I don't like it. But I'm doing it for the right reason. I'm doing it because I want to honor God. You will make, need to make decisions irrespective of how others feel about it. There's people that are going to tell you in your life that's foolish. There's people in your life that's going to tell you, why don't you just respect yourself more? There's people in your life that's going to say, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, and, and that's not going to be God's word to you. Knowing, all, knowing God is all about putting Him above all other relationships, all other relationships, no matter who they are, husband or wife or children, is make sure that he comes to be the first in your life. Jesus made this statement. He said, you will be hated of all men for my namesake. Like you're going to go through hardship because um, you're going to make choices based upon a service to Jesus that others do not agree with. I've heard it said oftentimes that it, uh, faith is the opposite of fear. Um, but the more I've thought about this, I've, I've remembered there were scenarios in my life where fear was mixed in the moment of practicing faith. And one of those was a time when I had my mom's boyfriend looking at me and um, threatening my life and just telling me, if you do not stop going to church, 
and you don't stop the Christian stuff that you're doing, um, then, and I don't want to tell you about all the threats, but basically it was enough for to scare me out of my wits. And I couldn't understand in the moment why, even though I felt this fear that it wasn't controlling me, it wasn't directing the things that I was saying. It was like he was telling me, shut up, don't do anything and submit to me. And if you'll do that much, then you can go to bed and all is well. But little by little, it was like I told him, I was like, actually, you need to get right with God. I would say things like that. It was almost like I had provoked more. And it was like I just fueled the fire in that man even more so than I had. And I couldn't understand where the boldness was coming from. But I knew, ultimately, it was from God. Later on, reflecting back on it, Lord, you had given me a boldness that there was nothing of fear that could control me and control what I was doing in the moment. And so realizing that a lot of people are trying to push fear completely out the door. There's going to be no fear in the moment that I'm acting out in faith. And the reality is, is that the fear won't control, and that's how you know you're living and acting out in faith. I'm not going to do what the fear says. I'm not going to let what the fear is pronouncing to my thoughts be the dictation for the direction I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow what I feel like God wants me to do in the moment. So when Jesus says, you'll be hated of all men for my namesake, there's going to be put to the trial there's going to be times when maybe your job is put on the trial. Are you going to compromise your faith in Jesus or risk the possibility of losing your job? Are you going to compromise your faith in Jesus in your home and the things that you do and allow in your home in life? Is there going to be times when the greatest trial of your life will be trying to figure out how to find more time to pray in the busy schedule, in the difficult situations in, and there's always a pressure to pull away from that. And you're like, Lord, I know that you're wanting me to spend this time with you because this is what has to be done in my family. So knowing God is about putting God above all other relationships. Sometimes it's the way what you have to spend your money on and what you do with that money. And it may bring hardship in other ways, but yet you know this is what God wants you to do. You will need to put Christ ahead of all other decisions. All other decisions in your life. Uh, Jesus has to come first. And, and all other desires. And so I've kind of learned that it isn't a name it, claim it kind of thing. Jesus, I just name it and I'm going to claim it and I'm going to get it. But this is about a submission to you and a surrender to you. And oftentimes you bless me with the thing and the desire of my heart. And I know it's been the same thing for you folks here because as you've had these testing grounds in your life, you've had to put God ahead of the desire of probably some things that I can't even imagine what that's like. I can't imagine what it's like to have to be in your position and say, Lord, I'm going to put you ahead of that desire. And if I never get it, I'm still going to glorify you. I'm going to worship you in that. And the testimony that that's formed within your life as you've made those choices to follow Jesus above your own desires, to make Him King and Lord of the things that you could possess and choose not to. And those are the other things that I want to invite when we're having testimonies to share some of those things that God has actually 
helped you learn not to submit to self and yield to self and surrender to Him and to see what is the product of that in your life? How did that create this intimacy in your life with Jesus? And those are the simple grounds that we all trade upon. That's the day-to-day Christianity that we all have to live. And the reality is, is that that's the testimony of our life. If you ask me, James, what do you think is the biggest miracle there ever was? And I would say the biggest miracle is to watch a human being, a frail, fallen human being, be restored by the grace of God and follow His plan for their life. That is the miracle that wows me. That's the miracle that just touches my heart and makes me love and worship God more and more as I hear and see that. So don't be ashamed. I just want to say to this church, don't be ashamed to testify and share about the points in your life where it's, it was self and it was my plan and it was what I wanted to do. And it all looked like if I just did this one thing that it was going to turn out to be the best thing. And God challenged me in that area of my life. And I chose Him. And, and, and I don't know all the details behind what could have happened. I just know what did. And I'm praying for that more and more because that's what I would call maturity. You know, Christianity in name is, or just profession is, is that we say it all the time, but it never tries us and stretches us and profoundly um, changes us. It, it reminded of the words of the Apostle who said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are before me, pressing toward the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Those things that were gained to me, I counted but lost, that I may uh, win Christ. And isn't it true that in a lot of our lives there was an opportunity for promotion in ways where it's like I had an opportunity to bless myself. It could have been the job that I was always looking for. And I felt that still small voice of God in the gut of my spirit telling me, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't go there. And some of us have experienced what it's like when we did. And we have another kind of testimony to share. I did do, and I messed up, and I found out what it means to have God restore me from following my plan. So knowing... Knowing the way means overcoming the world. Jesus made this statement. He said, He that does, uh, does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I think the message behind that is this. Is there anything in your life, is there anything in our lives that we can say that God doesn't ultimately own it? He doesn't take care of, it's not his, it's mine. I possess the right and the authority to sell, distribute, and do with it whatever I want. And I've never, and I'm not willing to yield the right of that to God. And it could be a simple possession, and it could be a massive thing. I couldn't tell you. But Jesus made that statement because it wasn't about what you had, it's about who had you. Is Jesus supreme in my life? Does He have me and all of me? Does He get all of me? Or am I only kind of divvying myself out in part to Him? And so even that gets tested. And Jesus' disciples experienced the test of um, having to forsake all. And you hear these words said by His disciples to Him, Lord, we've forsaken all. We've forsaken everything for You. 
And these same men gave up their occupation and they pursued Jesus into his calling and they had forsaken all. And Jesus had given them a massive promise. He says, whatever you've forsaken here will be rewarded in the life to come. My dad uh, was an alcoholic and he had given up everything. He'd given up in everything in a way that would make me feel sometimes ashamed in a Christian faith setting. Because he didn't give it up, I would say voluntarily, but he gave it all up. So he gave up his money, his finances, he gave up his marriage, he gave up his kids. He gave up everything to be able to drink that, that bottle over and over again. And I think of what Jesus said, and I think about what my, my dad had struggled with. And here he was, an alcoholic, giving everything to that bottle, to the place that it was his own bondage to continue to do so. I remember growing up in the home feeling stripped of the love and the goodness of, of what a home should be all about, but seeing what my dad had struggled with and the guilt in his life. And, and overcoming the world is not losing worldly possessions and ambitions. Because, see, my dad would have been a perfect example of what it meant to overcome the world if I'd simply said that it was about everything in his life was now missing. The house that my mom and dad had sought to buy at that time was now gone away. The money was used for alcohol. So the home wasn't going to be there anymore. So he's going to be giving up the home. I remember going into our home and opening up the refrigerator and there was, there was beer cans and beer bottles stacked all over in the refrigerator, but there was no food for us to eat out of. And so he had given up the provisions for even for his own children for the most part. We had to become very inventive to come up with something that, uh, to eat. <laughs> and so my mom would bring a box of food and drop it off at the door for us so that we would have something to eat and, and leave because of the fear of what he would say or do if she, he found her there or whatever. But he seemed to accept the food in the, in the time. But what I'm trying to say is, is ultimately in all of this, I could be very descriptive in sharing that there was everything was gone. Cars, possessions, money, he sold heirlooms, he sold old guns and rifles that were, uh, he didn't want to, but that was the only way that he could survive. And um, he finally gave up what was probably dearest to him in his own mind was us, me and my sister. And yet he had never overcome the world. He'd never overcome the darkness of the world. He'd never overcome anything by giving it all up. And I think it says it well in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, it says that if um, I had given my body to be burned and given all that I had and I had not love, it profits me nothing. So what is the key to overcoming the world? What is the key to overcoming the world inside of us? The pride and the struggle that we feel. And you know, it'd be a fool of me to say that Christians don't struggle with pride. The Christians don't have any areas of their life that's agonizing them when it comes to God. And so what is the key to this? And, and Jesus made it very plain in verse 6 of chapter 14 in John. It says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is so clinging to Christ that nothing else can possess our hearts in His place. Lord, possess me. Lord, have me. Lord, take me. You have the full ownership of my life. 
And it's not just a profession, but it's a constant everyday living it out that Jesus has you in everything. And what an awesome thing and a, a glorious testimony that He gets us in full. Everything in our life becomes His. And in that moment, we begin to find an exchange of like what I can't do and I couldn't do, He can do in me. And greater is He that is in me than He that is in this world. I'm more than a conqueror through Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. I am more than a conqueror. I love that. I'm not just going out on the battlefield facing the battle and being beaten and partially scarred and having wounds on me when I walk off or missing arms or limbs. I walk off better than I walked on the battlefield. I'm doing better than it was before I got there. I'm more than a conqueror. Not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror through the love of Christ as He's revealed that love. Lord, don't conceal the love of God to this broken heart, this finite man, but make it real every day. Make it precious to me every moment. Lord, continue to make Yourself known to me because I see no strength in myself but the strength that You give. I was reading two things that kind of caught my attention. It was the, the professional triathlete. Normally devotes 20 to 30 hours a week. You know, they got to figure out how to live around all this. 20 to 30 hours a week and their nutrition to be able to do what they do. And I was like, you know, there's no overcoming the world in this story. There's an overcoming, essentially, some of the habits of self and some of the things that self would prefer. Of course, we'd rather sit on the couch, eat potato chips, and watch TV all day long. And that would be so much easier than it would be to devote 20 to 30 hours of extensive exercise to be able to do what we're, we're being trained to do. And then there was John Wesley. And he said that he had preached 15 sermons a week, 40,000 sermons in his life, and, 200, and he traveled over 250,000 miles in his lifetime on foot and on horseback. Now, when I hear of devotion, I think, wow, this is a man. These are both devoted people. There's an extreme amount of devotion that goes in the triathlete, and there's an extreme amount of devotion that goes into this Methodist preacher back in the day. But the difference between the two individuals is only one thing, is that one of them was devoted to Jesus Christ, and the other one was devoted to some other purpose. That Jesus is the difference in the devotion. And so when Jesus and the focus becomes Him, you think of the man who's lost himself to preach endlessly and continuously to a world that's lost and doesn't know Jesus Christ. And this man's going to give himself fuller. And so the difference is, is that we can live a life of legalism and works based on trying to earn the merit and the favor of God. Or the reality is, is that Jesus Christ has already purchased it and everything that comes out of my life is a byproduct of that deep, and a central love that I have for Jesus. And I just pray that as we think more and more about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, I want to just pray uh, and, and encourage you guys this week as you're going forward in whatever you're doing to step forward in that I don't know what you have to overcome. I don't know what you might be dealing with in your days and lives. And maybe everything looks good on the surface, 
But I just want you to remember that Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to remember that when you're struggling to be able to take time for devotions because of scenarios that you can only describe in your life, that you're able to take one more moment to surrender to God and say, Lord, you said it. The preacher said it on Sunday, and I want to live it out this week. And I want to encourage those of us who are hungry for a greater devotional life to Jesus to just go back to this scripture in this verse and comfort yourself with it. Challenge yourself with what Jesus said. When you're tempted to try and figure out how to do something on your own, what you're going to do with your money this week, what you're going to do about that person that you're not sure about whether you want to call or not, I want to pray that you bring this scripture to the forefront of your mind and remember that Jesus is the way. This is the time to seal the deal with the Lord. God, don't let me live my life to try and figure out how to do this on my own. Even the simple things I want your guidance and your help and instruction in. And what a blessing it is to find that Jesus really isn't in any way. The Lord isn't in any way saying, you know what, I know that you're well trained in this. And you're great at what you do. You don't need me anymore. But this is a great time for the Lord to reveal in us, Lord, I have great training here, or I'm an expert in what I do. I'm a great in my field. And all of us have areas in our work, you know, Will in construction, um, and Tina doing the, uh, uh, sorry, the finances, the um, taxes. Why can't I get it out? And her doing that, and, and professionals in their field, doing great at what they do. And everybody in this place seems to be great in, in those ways. But don't just settle for being good at what you do. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it may be that it's not changing my skill in what I do, but I feel a sense of closeness and a nearness to God that I haven't felt before because I'm used to being busy. I'm used to being... Uh, entertained by the things that I have to do. And the Lord wants us to walk with him on a continual basis. So I want to challenge you with that. And I also want to just give you an opportunity this, uh, maybe this afternoon by now, um, to take some time to do this right now, just to seal the deal before the Lord, before you leave. I'd like for the worship team to come up. And, you know, I often give the invitation, and I still will, for people to come up here, um, to step out of the comfort of where you're at, and to give the Lord an opportunity to minister in this moment. Um, what better time for Jesus to minister than right in the moment? We just heard the sermon fresh. We just got God's word for us right now. And it doesn't have to be a difficult thing. And, and if you're saying, you know what, maybe I'm not seeing, I'm doing that right now in faithfulness to the Lord. Maybe there's somebody else we need to pray for today. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord, whether it's where you're at or just to come forward. But just take some time to just let the Lord uh, have his way in, this, in, in, your, in your home.